Hi, welcome to the third episode in the Kingdom Principles. So uh, last time I mentioned that each Kingdom Principle we look at has a problem, a principle and a promise. So let's look at the problem that Jesus faced when he had recruited his disciples. One of the difficulties he had is that they would argue with each other mainly about who is the greatest. It wasn't just the disciples, but sometimes the issues that Jesus had with the Pharisees and the Sadducees were based around honour and respect, and in particular, status. I remember somebody once asking me, does God have favourites? And the clear answer is, of course, no. Let me just read a couple of verses to support that. In Ephesians, the Bible says, And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. James 2 verse 9 says, If you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. So clearly there are no favourites with God. And yet, if you look in the Bible, it seems at least that God treats people who do similar things very differently sometimes. So some kind of subplot, something underneath that's affecting God's decisions and appraisal of how he deals with us. And I believe that's that's misunderstood by us because we've individualised our relationship with God. We made it just about us We've not understood that God sees us as a community. So, for instance, here's the problem. I'm going to show you a picture of a cardboard cutout. Now, these are are things that are found quite often on British seaside um, towns. And um, what you've got here is you have a picture usually of a a lady in some kind of frilly outfit and some kind of guy, usually an old guy. And uh, if you're a couple, you tend to put your face in the holes where their faces should be. So the man puts his face in the picture of the, of the big lady and the lady puts her face in the little old weedy man, uh, the hole where his face is supposed to be. And uh, people laugh because there's a mismatch. It's just funny because it doesn't look right. It's where part of humour comes from when things are mismatched. Here's the problem. So often that's what's happening with the church and the world sometimes laughs at the church. We become a laughing stock because the head, Christ, does not fit the body of the church. There's a mismatch. We're not acting the way he acts and that results in people just laughing at us. So we need to understand that as a body, we need to reflect Christ, particularly in the way he understood and judged people. Now, let me explain a little bit through looking at some of the traditions of the Jews. So the Jews believe there are roughly 613 commandments. Now, what's interesting in those 613 commandments is the way they divide them. So 248 of the commandments are positive. They're things you're supposed to do. But 365 are negative. They're things you're not supposed to to do. Now what's interesting about that is they equate to the 248 bones and 365 muscles or ligaments in the body according to the Talmud, the Jewish writing. So actually there's more bones and muscles. 
But what you've got here is you've got the commandments that match up with what they thought were the, the main bones and muscles in the body. Now, what's important about that? Well, there was a connection, there was a remez, there was a hint or an implication here, which is to fulfill God's will, you can't do it as an individual. You can't fulfill all the 613 laws of God as the Jews see it as an individual. For some, you have to be a man. For some, you have to be a woman. For some, you have to live in Israel. Uh, only a community can fully fulfill the law of God. So what happens in our individualistic Christianity is we concentrate on our individual rights where God concentrates on our corporate responsibility. When there's a problem, when someone's being oppressed, the Bible does not say, and God does not say to that individual, stand up for your rights. What God says is, hey, community, you need to take responsibility for that widow or for that orphan. I think this is really, really key. And I think because of the society we live in, we miss the importance of this. And this is the problem, even in Jesus' day, that the disciples were thinking about, it's about me being higher than this person, or the Pharisees putting away the children because they were the important ones who wanted time with Jesus. So as we think about that, let's look at our first workshop. Please read the quote from the mini chapter plural, which is taken from the book about the kingdom principles, and ask yourself the following questions. Do you see the problem that I see? And which of the five questions in this quote do you think is the most challenging to you? And in light of these questions, how might we behave instead in order that the head matches the body? So let's look at the principle. Uh, the problem is that we've individualized our, our faith and we've not understood how God looks at us. And I want to unpack that a little bit more. Here's the kingdom principle for this episode. Matthew 7 verse 2. Do not judge or in the same way you judge others, you too will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Judge not that ye be not judged. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. Stop judging others and you will be judged. For others will treat you as you treat them. Whatever the measure you use in judging others, it will be used to measure how you are judged. The literal Greek reads, for with the judgment you judge, you will be judged. So here's this staggering statement, that what God is saying to us is the way in which we judge others affects the way God deals with us. Now that can be exciting or it can be scary. If you're someone who's given your life away to bless others, then can I encourage you, God sees that and it means an awful lot to him. He takes note of that. If you put others down, if you judge people harshly, bear that in mind. You know, the Bible has some staggering statements. Jesus taught us how to pray and we know that we should pray uh, that God forgives us as we forgive others. In other words, as we forgive others, God will forgive us, which bows the question, what happens if we don't forgive others? What does that really mean if we don't forgive others? So when we think about the cloud and the line, we, we again look at this idea of a line and line dwellers who are always 
trying to be careful of, well, how far can I go before I get into trouble? And they're fixated on this line thinking, what must I do in order to get a reward? And yet the kingdom principle is different. So line dwellers may look and think, well, well, can I, can I do this? If somebody hurts me in this way, am I allowed to do this? You know, we work out all the time what they did and what we did. We, we tell people the story. They did this and they did that. So I said this and I said that. And we were looking for some kind of assurance that we did the right thing when they, when they judged us harshly and we responded this way. It's an awful lot of work. It's an awful lot of work. And sometimes we have to understand that God is leading us in a, in a way that he wants us to come closer to who he is as the head of the church, to understand his heart. So when we look at the Bible, we see things like the law of Moses, which says an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Now you look at that and today that seems, in light of Jesus' words, that seems really harsh. But we have to understand the context of when it was written. In those days, it was common to take revenge. So if you imagine revenge at one end of the line, it was, it was common, let's say um, I have a fight and um, my enemy um, hurts me and blinds me. So my brothers decide to pay him back and they take revenge and they kill him. That's revenge. The law of Moses said, no, that's wrong. We don't need revenge. We need justice. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. If somebody gets blinded, then they should be blinded. But then there was a whole money compensation so nobody would be blinded. But it was about fairness. It was about justice. Jesus came and said, that's true. Justice, God is a God of justice. But if you want to really know what's in the heart of God, let's come closer. It's about grace. And in the cloud, this this place where we look to, if you like, for the presence of God to reveal the spirit behind the rules, we realize that Jesus is teaching us we need to show grace as grace has been shown to us. We didn't get what we deserve, so stop working out what other people deserve and show grace towards them. These are the questions that line dwellers ask. They ask, how much should I forgive? Why should I forgive? What should I forgive? But instead, cloud dwellers are challenged by his questions to us, such as, will you first take the plank out of your own eye? Will you compare yourself to me and not to him or her? Will you be the first to drop the stone, not the first to throw it? To summarise this, uh, I have a little phrase that I think is a great principle for us to understand. When we think of the kingdom principle, it's almost part of a bigger principle. And I usually show people uh, this picture. This is a picture of my family. Uh, Okay, it's taken a few years ago. Um, But I love my sons and I love my wife. I absolutely love them to bits. Now, imagine one day somebody came to me and said, Hey, Paul, I want to be a friend of yours. I love your preaching. I love your teaching. I think we could be great friends. We could get on really well. You just need to know, Paul, that I I think your kids are brats. I don't like your kids. And I think your wife is ugly and she's got a horrible personality. But me and you, Paul, we we can be great friends. Give me a hug, Paul. Well, he's going to get a response. Maybe not the response he expects. uh, Because that would be ridiculous, wouldn't it? I, I I would not... Uh, expect to be friends with somebody who hates the rest of my family. 
And yet worship leaders on a Sunday morning will say crazy things like, hey, shut out everybody else, forget what's happened this week, and instead just focus on Jesus. It's an audience of one. No, it's not. The whole point of church, if you read the Bible, is to come with a song to encourage other people. The whole point of church is to come with a testimony, with a psalm, with good news of what God did to encourage other people. The last thing you should do in church is block everyone out. How can we be great friends with God when we gossip about or hurt or harshly judge his family? Can I encourage you to understand that our commitment to Christ is seen by Christ through our commitment to the body of Christ? So that is so important for us to understand. And there's there's some kind of um, paradox here in the Bible. So what is grace? Grace is that we get what we don't deserve. God blesses us in ways that we don't deserve. He forgives us even though we don't deserve to be forgiven. So that's the point of grace. We don't deserve it. And yet, the more we show grace, the more we can be given grace. It's a fascinating thought, really. There's some kind of partnership that we can have with God here. Now, grace is not ignoring their sin in order that we can sin. That's not grace. That's being a hippie. You know, in the 60s, there was kind of this idea of, of free love. But really, it was about free selfishness. I won't judge you and then therefore you can't judge me. It wasn't really about love, it was about you don't tell me what to do and I won't tell you what you should do. That's not what God's asking us to be like. He's telling us we need to be our brother's keeper, we need to be careful, we need to look after, we need to be responsible, but we need to do it with a heart that is forgiving. And in a moment, we're gonna look at what that really looks like. For now, however, before we look at the promise, let's look at one more thought. Let's begin to see is this really biblically true? So as we look at our workshop, let me ask you, what evidence in the Bible is there for the statement, our commitment to Christ is seen by Christ through our commitment to the body of Christ? Can you find a biblical example of that? Maybe a story would be ideal. So I'd like you just to think through that, that phrase and think, what biblical evidence can I find for that? Is Paul telling the truth or is Paul just making things up? So please spend 10 minutes looking at that and then we're going to look beyond the problem, beyond the principle to the promise that God gives us. So before I look at this promise, let me just tell you a story I like to tell. It's of four people who got on a train and uh, two of them were a general and his young lieutenant and they sat down opposite a pretty young woman and her grandmother. And when they got on the, the train, as they sat opposite each other, there was a little bit of tension between, kind of like a little bit of chemistry between this young, handsome lieutenant and this young, pretty woman. And occasionally the lieutenant would half smile at the pretty young woman and she would blush slightly. Uh, the, the general wasn't very happy about this because he believed the lieutenant should act in a, in a controlled, self-controlled manner. The grandmother certainly wasn't happy because she wanted to protect her little young uh, um, granddaughter from this, this, this soldier. Anyway, this went on for a few minutes and then suddenly the train went through a tunnel and all you could hear was you heard a kiss and you heard a slap. And then they came out of the tunnel and people looked around what had happened. 
The young lady, well, she was very pleased because the lieutenant had given her a kiss, but she was a bit embarrassed that her grandmother had slapped the lieutenant. The grandmother was upset that this young lieutenant had, had kissed her granddaughter, but was quite proud that clearly her granddaughter had slapped the lieutenant for doing it. The general was secretly quite proud that his lieutenant had kissed this young woman. He was just a bit upset that the young woman had slapped him, thinking he was the one who'd kissed her. And the young lieutenant, the young lieutenant stay there quite calm and quite composed because he'd just taken the opportunity to kiss a pretty young woman and slap his own general. Sometimes you don't really know what's going on and sometimes it's always worth finding things out. Sometimes we judge too quickly, we judge a situation or a person. So obviously we need to find those things out but that's not really what this kingdom principle is about. That's just basic common sense. Don't judge before you've found out all the facts. But really, I think this kingdom principle is about something much more important. It's about a promise. And the promise is that God will use the way we judge each other, if we do it well and show grace, to advance his kingdom. Not only will we be blessed, not only will we be shown grace, but his kingdom will be advanced. Let me just explain this by looking at a couple of passages from scripture. Jesus said, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So Jesus is saying that people will know you're the true disciples of God, that your God is the real God if you love one another. It's interesting, he didn't say if you believe the right thing, which of course is still important, the right doctrine. But the proof of God's existence almost, the, the greatest proof, apart from this wonderful creation, I think is the way that God has bound the church together and different types of people can love each other and be transformed and their character can be changed by the Spirit of God. You know, the world often believes that a leopard cannot change its spots, but the Bible clearly teaches that we can absolutely be transformed into people who love the way Christ loved now, this is important because in the days of Jesus, there were many different types of gods and the people that were disciples of those gods had all sorts of different beliefs. Now, I'm going to read something to you. Now, I need to explain something before I do. This is taken from a podcast of one person saying what different people believed about their gods. I've looked into this and many of these are not true. People didn't really believe some of these things about their gods. But I'm going to read them to you for a reason. So let me just read these to you for uh, the purpose of this kingdom principle and unpacking it. The god Mithros was said to have come to earth 600 years before Christ, was said to be born in a cave, was worshipped by shepherds and had 12 followers. The faithful referred to Mithras as the light of the world and celebrated the birth of Mithras on the 25th of December. Addis was also worshipped from 200 years before Christ, was hung on a tree, but several days later was said to have rose from the dead. Addis was also thought to be born of a virgin. Adonis was from around the same time and referred to as the son of God, born of a virgin and said to have died to save mankind. 
Horus was much older Egyptian god, but was worshipped by some in Jesus' region. Horus died by crucifixion, but before that it was said that as a small child, foreign gifts had brought him gifts. When Julius Caesar died, a comet was reported as having been seen by 12 witnesses. His followers testified that it was a sign of him rising from the dead and ascending to the right hand of the gods. So I don't know what you think about this. I, I started to look into some of that and found that some of that is just a creation or, or more of a, a twist on some of the real beliefs that people had to make it sound more and more like Christianity. But let's just put the facts to one side for a moment. Let's let's ask ourselves a question. What if, what if all those people believed all those different things about their gods? If that really was true, then clearly what makes us different is not simply our doctrine. Because I was brought up to believe that only uh, only my God, uh, only Jesus claimed um, to be raised from the dead. Well, that's not true. Other religions, it seems, possibly claim that their gods rose from the dead. There are some clear differences between what Jesus taught and what others taught. But the biggest proof of the pudding, the biggest proof of the existence and why Christianity has grown for 2,000 years while all these religions have kind of died off is because there is proof. And the proof, I believe, is the way that we have been transformed into a body that takes care for each other. Look at this verse from the Bible. It's so intriguing when you think about why it was written. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Why did that have to even be written? Because in Jesus' day, there were people who were judging others based on whether they were male or female, a Jew, a Gentile, a Roman citizen, whether they were slave or whether they were a master. And today we have um, sexism and racism. But the fact is that in those days, people would eat before other people would eat. Masters would eat first and the servants would eat second and they wouldn't eat the same food. And yet at this incredible meeting together on the Sabbath, when people would come together to break bread, Jew would break bread and the disciples would come and the, the Gentiles would eat with the Jews and you would see masters eating with their slaves. And there was this visual object lesson that God was real and through his spirit he transformed people and everyone was equal. By this love, people will know that you're my disciples. But let's look at the word love for a moment. In the Greek, there are three types of love. There is eros love, this kind of sexual love, which basically says, I love you because you make me feel good. And while you make me feel good, I will continue to love you. Then there's this kind of philo human love that says, I love you because together we have this brotherly love. Together we, we feel good together. It feels right. Uh, I give a little, you give a little. It's fair. It's equal. And then we have this agape love. And agape love is different. It doesn't say, I love you because you make me feel good. And while you make me feel good, I'll still love you. It doesn't say, I love you because together we're good. And while we're still together, while we're still good to each other, I will continue to love you. Agape love says, I love you 
because I have been loved. And my love for you is an overflow of what I've already received. So it's not based on what you do or how you make me feel. It's based on what I've received already. It's an overflow. And Jesus said, if you love people, and the Bible translates it, agape. If you love people, not with a human love, a hippie 60s love, or not a sexual, sensual love. If you love because you've been loved, no strings attached, that will change the world. Jesus said that love does not look simply like forgiveness, it looks like restoration. Now that word restoration is important. You see, restoration doesn't simply say, you've hurt me and I'm gonna forgive you, but I'm, gonna, I'm not gonna relate to you anymore, I'm gonna keep your arms distance. Restoration says, I love you, you hurt me, I'm gonna forgive you and I'm gonna restore you back to the relationship we had. That's what God does for us. He forgives us and he brings us closer. Sometimes after you sin, sometimes you can feel even closer to God than before because you're sensing his love and his forgiveness for you. One last example of this, when Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane is approached by the guards and one of the disciples cuts off, cuts off the ear of the high priest's servants, Jesus restores his ear. And that's really significant. It's significant it wasn't an arm lopped off or, you know, just a cut of the cheek. Uh, it's interesting because the high priest's servant, tradition says, could not serve God if there was any damage to his earlobe. So if his ear was cut off, he could not continue to serve God. When Jesus restores his ear, he's not only healing him physically, but he's saying, you can continue to serve God. What would it look like if when we forgive, we also restore? And I think that's one of the challenges of the kingdom principle for us in our lives. God will judge us the way we judge others. As we restore others into relationship with him and with us, he looks at that and he's so incredibly pleased and it attracts his grace and blessing on our lives. Okay, let's look at our final workshop. So as we are about to go through a meditation exercise, let me just remind you of something, which is that there are times we're supposed to judge, of course. Uh, in my role as a leader, I need to judge people. I need to make an assessment work out who I should put in positions and who I shouldn't. The Bible says that uh, bad company corrupts good character. So there are times when you should judge who's influencing you and who you should allow to influence you and who you shouldn't. Those are good reasons to judge. However, there are reasons that we should not judge and they're usually when we've been hurt or because we feel insecure. So with that in mind, we're going to go through a meditation exercise where the leader of your group is going to read out questions that you can ask of yourself and ask of the Lord. Alternatively, if you're on your own, then please just think about the questions that are on the worksheet and spend some time with the Lord, asking the Lord to reveal to you what's really in your heart. What is the reason you really judge others? Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Hopefully this has been a helpful episode of The Kingdom Principles. I believe it's one of the most important. It's the forgotten principle, I think. Um, I pray that this meditation, these simple questions will be a blessing to you and I'll speak to you next time. Thank you. Bye.